Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world. That ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And welcome to the Vulgar History Podcast. My name is Anne Foster, and this is Quarantine Edition, um, Season 2. Our theme is Women Leaders in History and the Men Who Whined About It. And I'm recording this in the past. You're listening to this in my future. And today that I'm recording this, uh, everything is chaos. Um, a lot of people are working from home. There's a pandemic going on everything's pretty intense and I like listening to podcasts about history and other things to sort of get my mind off of what's up in the world and perhaps you do too and perhaps you're listening to this in the far off distant future and you're like oh man remember in March of 2020 all that weird pandemic stuff was happening what a crazy time here's a a podcast someone recorded when that was all happening where she talked about her feelings. So today, I'm going to do my best to bring you as delightful a podcast episode as usual. And honestly, the story is so great. I couldn't wait. I couldn't not do this. Honestly, doing the podcast is kind of therapeutic for me. Anyway, I hope you enjoy listening to it. And it's a story that I did a pile of research for. I like literally finished researching yesterday, I think. Because it's a story I kind of knew, but I really wanted to make sure I got all the minutia and the details correct because it's so, it's sort of the story that inspired this whole season of the podcast. So we're talking about Empress Matilda, who's a person you may or may not know about, or you might have vaguely heard about her, but I read a book about her a bit ago. It's a recent-ish book by Catherine Hanley that's just called, I think it's just called Matilda, but... I'll put links in the show notes. It is an excellent, excellent, excellent biography. Actually, first I heard her interviewed on the BBC History Extra podcast about this book, and it got me thinking about the whole, just the double standards that women leaders have faced since seemingly, as we've been learning on this podcast, time immemorial. Oh, the book is actually called Matilda Colon, Empress, Queen, Warrior by Catherine Hanley. But again, I'll put links in the show notes. And she really dives into Matilda's story in a super interesting, very readable sort of way that really gets your attention. And really, I like history books like this that really um, sort of help you imagine what the person was like, what the situation was like, not just like this battle, this war, etc, etc, but really like why people were making the decisions they were making and just kind of what the whole context of the world was. And in some ways, my... um, 
my hobby, my interest in reading about history is part of what's keeping me pretty, I wouldn't say calm, but I would say like head on my shoulders-ish vis-a-vis the current global pandemic because it's like so much shitty stuff has happened all the time all the time all over the place awful things weird things unexpected things stuff like uh, a pandemic when it happens like if you're talking about like back in the day you've got your black plague going on the 1918 influenza like these things come up and it's just sort of reminds you that like we're all still people like we have we have the internet and stuff now but like things aren't that different from whatever you know a thousand years ago just in the terms of like we're still fragile human bodies and and the flu can whatever so it's just sort of like it puts into perspective as well the women who are looking at this season and last season frankly but just thinking about the odds and what you're up against not just like from society as we'll see what happens with matilda but also just the world and how everything can be bonkers and it's like so much easier to just kind of sit back and be like well here's the world and let's just like deal with it but to be someone like matilda who's just like challenging the status quo slash almost dying in childbirth in like the year 1100 something like to just keep going to anyway all the stuff she does is all the more impressive when you just put in the context of just like the world in general so without further ado we're going to get into this story so i did mention the matilda book by Catherine hanley matilda empress queen warrior and there's another book that was a mega reference for me in this which is a book that is called um she wolves the women who ruled england before elizabeth by helen castor also super recommend also put in the uh, show notes so you can get some more information about these books and also i'm figuring some stuff out about like how i'm going to link to them there's this really great website called bookshop.org where you can like make lists and stuff so by the time i post this maybe that'll all be working who knows where the link is going to lead you in the show notes but what i can tell you is that if you go to audibletrial.com slash vulgar history you can get one month free trial of audible and maybe you can listen to the matilda book there because it's also good as an audiobook full disclosure that's how i read it so we're going back so the last episode we did was about ethel flood you've got to love the my my laptop when i type in a e it auto finishes it to ethel flood that is how much i have read about the awesome person so last time we talked about ethel flood lady of the Mercians, and so she was around circa 870 till the year 918 and then we're gonna zoom ahead a little bit so she was part of the anglo-saxon scenario but now we're moving into the norman dynasty so we're gonna have a little history lesson now if you're on on a self-isolation or quarantine you know here's some some learning for you maybe for your your youths who you're homeschooling so william the conqueror was a man who invaded england in 1066 with his wife matilda of flanders that's not the matilda we're going to be talking about guess what there's 11 different people called matilda in this story 11 i'm gonna do my best to differentiate them for you so this is the first matilda matilda flanders wife of william the conqueror so he was from normandy which was an area of france and when he invaded england and took over there's the the bayou tapestry tells that whole story and he brought in with him the new norman dynasty and also the french language and he sort of replaced everybody all the officials with new french people Um, he made french the language and a whole new regime like he just sort of swept away the whole anglo-saxon situation and 
so although he brought in with him a sort of French thing where um, generally a king is inherited by his firstborn legitimate son, there was a whole, there were some shenanigans and his illegitimate son, Henry, wound up taking over when William died. This is one of several Henrys, so just like buckle up. So Henry was both King of England and Duke of Normandy because that was William the Conqueror's title when he took over England. So at this point, England was like the England that we know, the little island, and then across the channel, part of France. So it was sort of like bicoastal. So as far as dynasties go, the Normans were still pretty new in the sense of like William the Conqueror was the first and then Henry was the second one. So much dependent on having a clear line of succession to follow him after he died, Henry, because he wanted to continue on having Normans being in charge. This is like not entirely dissimilar from you're familiar with the saga of Henry VIII, that whole thing where he was just like, I have to have the Tudors keep going. Oh no, daughters. Um, so what happened here is that, so we had uh, William the Conqueror, his wife Matilda Flanders, his illegitimate son was Henry, Henry's wife, also called Matilda, but she had her name changed to Edith, or her name was Edith, and it was changed to Matilda, because at this point in time, just like women had to be called Matilda, apparently. So we're going to call her Edith Matilda. Sort of like on the hills, Justin Bobby, Edith Matilda. So she was incredibly pious and religious to the point that after she had one daughter and one son, she basically ran off to become a nun, um, literally washing the feet of lepers, like wearing a hair shirt, like just like super religious in this kind of like 1100s sort of way. So Henry was a Norman from France and Edith Matilda was the daughter of the Scottish king Malcolm III and also a descendant of Alfred the Great, Alfred the Great being the father of Ethelfled, Lady of the Mercias, I think. So Edith Matilda had some Anglo-Saxon to her. So it was a beneficial marriage for Henry because he was the heir of this French guy who took over, but Edith Matilda brought over the Anglo-Saxon stuff. So it was a, a good alliance to sort of solidify them as leaders. So genetically, what this meant was that their children were even more legitimate English rulers than either uh, Edith Matilda or Henry because they had both sides. So their first child born was our heroine, the main Matilda, who was born on or around May 7th, 1102. So this is like a hundred-ish years later than Ethelfled. So one year later, Matilda's brother was born and he was called William Etheling. So the Normans being a new dynasty hadn't quite sorted out what their inheritance rules would be. Like generally, but they were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do sons are more important than daughters because that's just kind of what everyone's doing all around us. Um, and they also were like, so sons outrank daughters, which means William Etheling will be the heir, but also legitimate children outrank illegitimate children. So even though we'll get to it, but um, Henry had a lot of illegitimate children, but William Etheling was, he was it. He was the heir. <clears throat> so Edith Matilda, the mom, she was super religious basically became a nun after having two children. Um, side note, her mother, Margaret of Scotland, uh, literally was made a saint. So it's just like a long line of super religious Scottish women. So everything rested on William Etheling's shoulders vis-a-vis -vis inheritance because there was not going to be any more sons. Edith Matilda pieced out of childbearing entirely. Um, Henry had 24 illegitimate children that we know of, including three other girls also named Matilda. So our Matilda tally is now up to five. So we have our Matilda and she has 
three illegitimate half-sisters, also called Matilda. Her mother, also called Matilda. Her grandmother, Matilda. That's just where we're at right now. Um, Henry's oldest and most important bastard was named Robert, Earl of Gloucester. And we'll hear more about him later, but spoiler, he's great. This is not a story where, like, men are awful to women all the time and then everyone dies, like some of our other episodes in this podcast season. There's some, like, good guys in this story. It's a refreshing Robert of Gloucester being one of them. So... Uh, Little is known about Matilda's earliest life, but she probably stayed with her mother, was taught to read, and was educated in religious morals, because God knows Edith Matilda was all about religion. Among the nobles at her mother's court where she was raised were her uncle David, who was later made king of Scotland. So, because remember, Edith Matilda's father was the king of Scotland, so her brother becomes king of Scotland later. David, also an important good dude later on. Uh, Robert of Gloucester, good dude, her half-brother, also there. Also there, her cousin Stephen of Blois, Blois, her cousin Stephen, and he's going to become important later. Is he a good guy? We will see. In 1108, when she was six, Henry left Matilda and her brother in the care of Anselm, the Archbishop of Canterbury, while he traveled to Normandy. Anselm was a favorite cleric of Matilda's mother. So Henry was like bopping back and forth, like England, Normandy, like pretty regularly, because that's what happens when you're... The King of England slash Duke of Normandy have to keep checking on both parts of what you're in charge of. So as a princess, Matilda's job was to marry someone important to help maintain and or grow England and her father's land ownership. Luckily, King Heinrich of Rome, Rome slash Germany, he's not entirely Holy Roman Emperor. So we had ancient Rome in some previous podcasts this season. What happened is that Rome sort of fell apart, stopped being Rome. And then Charlemagne, this guy, came in and he was like, you know what's great? Rome. I'm going to call this area, which is kind of basically Germany slash Austria, I'm going to call this Rome the Holy Roman Empire, even though it wasn't like, just because he thought that made it sound impressive. So there's not actually a connection between the Holy Roman Empire and the oldie time Roman Empire. And what's happening in this period... Um, where are we? 1108. Um, so King Heinrich was king of Germany and also of Rome, sort of. Other people have written about this. That's not, we're just talking about Matilda. I find it very confusing, frankly. There's a pandemic going on. Let's just move on. So effectively, Matilda was eight years old and she was shipped off to Germany to marry 24-year-old King Heinrich, which is not weird for this situation because they didn't actually like become man and wife at this point when she was eight she was crowned the queen of rome germany but she wasn't actually married to heinrich until four years later when she was 12 and that was that's still weird but like so much is weird anyway she went over she became his sort of protege slash wife um two years later when she was 14 she accompanied heinrich to rome where he was crowned holy roman emperor so that whole thing that he was dealing with sorted itself out, making her the empress. So this is controversial because the Pope was away that day. So a different person actually crowned them. So it's like, is she really the empress? But like, that's a stupid controversy. Like, obviously she's the empress. She considered herself the empress from that point on. And that's how she became known as Empress Matilda is from this time. So in 1115, the sixth Matilda enters this story. This is Matilda of Tuscany, who was an accomplished military leader slash countess in Italy. 
Uh, she died, which spurred on some dynastic struggles for who would be in charge of what parts of what, because this is why you want to have like a really strong dynasty. So when you die, it's obvious who's going to inherit. So there's not all these scuffles about who's in charge of what. At one point during this whole thing, Heinrich ran off to do a campaign and he left his wife, Matilda, who is 16 years old at that this point, in charge of Italy as his regent. So like, she's not a teenage trophy wife here. Like she's been, from the time she was eight, she would have been sort of raised and taught how to be a ruler, how to govern govern things to the point that he left her in charge when she was 16 years old. Like she knew what was going on. Matilda and Heinrich didn't have any children, though there might've been a child lost in infancy and life just kind of continued on like this. They were married. Um, she was growing out of being a teenager and into being a adult sized person. And then 1120, everything changed. So the whole thing where England was divided between England and Normandy meant people were going back and forth on ships a lot, as I mentioned. So in 1120, what happened is King Henry and his entourage went over on one ship, the sort of like grown up ship, while William Etheling, who's Matilda's brother slash Henry's heir, went across on another ship that was like the party ship. So William Etheling's ship was filled with a bunch of his half-siblings. Remember, he had 24 of them, as long as his friends and his wife, um, William Etheling's wife, is the seventh Matilda in the story, Matilda of Anjou. The This ship, the party ship, was called the White Ship, and oh, also on board the ship was one of the half-sisters, Matilda Fitzroy, um, their half-brother, Thomas Fitzstephen. So it's just like party ship full of illegitimate royals slash William Etheling, heir to the throne. So they were drinking and partying and whatever, and they were like 300 people on board. Although some disembarked because the drinking was a bit much for them, um, which is like the drinking was a bit much for you, like French nobles in the 11th century. Like that's a lot of drink. So one of the passengers who got out was um, Matilda and William Ethling's cousin, Stephen, who I mentioned before, foreshadowing he didn't die. And then in a sort of titanic scenario, the passengers challenge the captain to sail faster than the king's ship because there's like the grown-up ship, then there's the white ship, the party ship next to it. So they were just like drag racing ships. But then the, the white ship, the party ship, struck a submerged rock. And the rock, and I'm not sure why, I forgot to look this up, has a name. It's called a kilebuf, kilebuf, something beef. I'm not sure why this rock has a name, famous rock, so the white ship capsized. William Ethling got on an escape raft, a lifeboat. I'm not sure what's up. Um, and he could have escaped, but he went back to save his half-sister, Matilda. Not our Matilda. The other Matilda sister. But then he went back on this sort of raft, and then others climbed onto the raft to try and save themselves, and then they all drowned. Uh, their half-brother, Thomas Fitzstephen, allegedly survived, along with a butcher named Barold, by clinging onto the, the rock, the Kilebjof. But when Thomas heard that William Essling had died, he let himself drown rather than have to face his father, the king, with this bad news. Everyone knew the king was going to freak out. In fact, oh, so Barold, the butcher, was the only survivor. So everyone was so afraid of how much they knew King Henry was going to freak out that they didn't tell him about the disaster for like a few days. And when he found out, he obviously freaked out. So he was like, shit, I need an heir. Like he has these... 24 illegitimate children, several, at least three of whom just died in this disaster, but illegitimate children, he didn't want them to inherit. His only other, his legitimate child was Matilda, and it's just like, what, a girl? Mm, that's weird. So he quickly married another woman who was named Adeliza, which is a great name, not just because it's not Matilda, but also because it's not Matilda. And they're 
basically he married her to try and have another son and heir so that he could make the succession more straightforward. So at this point, that's what everyone assumed would happen. So Matilda continued on being empress back in Germany slash Rome. So five years pass, and now it's 1125, and Matilda's husband Heinrich died. And she hadn't had any children with him. She didn't stick around there because she wasn't the regent to the next emperor. And also there's a thing where Holy Roman Emperor was elected? Question mark? Not... I researched a lot about Matilda. I did not research a lot about Holy Roman Empire, so other people can fill in those blanks for you if that interest. But effectively, Matilda had, like, the Holy Roman Empire, Germany slash Rome was kind of like, bye. So she, she suddenly lost her job and her status and the way she'd been living for 15 years. Uh, note, the new Holy Roman Emperor was Heinrich's longtime nemesis, Lothair, which is a very evil-sounding name. That is very cool. So... Henry hadn't had a child in five years with his new wife, Adeliza, so Matilda was starting to seem like a much more important sort of person. Henry was still hoping to have a new son with Adeliza, but just to make things go more smoothly in general, he held a formal event where all the nobles swore to support Matilda as his heir until he had a new son. So sort of like a stopgap measure. There's actually some, everyone was like, this is a great idea because he's the king and they wanted to make him think all of his ideas are good. And there's actually some fighting among the nobles for who got to swear allegiance to Matilda first because they're all just so excited to get to prove their loyalty. The three who all wanted to be first were Robert of Gloucester, Matilda's half-brother, the eldest of the 24 bastards, and good dude, um, Scotland's King David, who is Matilda's uncle, Edith Matilda's brother, also a good guy, and Stephen, who we're going to hear about later, but her goddamn cousin who almost died on the white ship disaster but didn't because he didn't like to party so hard. So the plan wasn't actually for Matilda to take over is more that everyone would pledge allegiance to her in anticipation that maybe in case Henry and Adeliza didn't have a child Matilda would have a son and that new son would be the king and hopefully Henry would live long enough to just have that boy be the new king so to make this happen Matilda needed a new husband for various reasons including land that they wanted to have control over the best and only option was Geoffrey the son of the Duke of Anjou. He was also the brother of Matilda of Anjou, William Etheling's wife, who died on the party ship. Geoffrey was also 15 years old, and Matilda was 23. So Matilda had been empress, like empress of the Holy Roman Empire, for 15 years, the entire lifespan of Geoffrey. So she had a lot of experience, and he was a teenager. Apparently he was very handsome, but he was also 15 years old and a duke. So she didn't want to marry a 15 year old duke having just come off of being literally the empress. And also like that means that she'd be sort of downgraded to like duchess, which is just like not what she wanted to do. She resisted, but Henry didn't care what she thought. He personally had Geoffrey knighted. And despite Matilda probably still grieving for her husband slash mentor of 15 years, her father made her do it. And so she married Geoffrey. And I just want to mention that Jeffrey's father is called Folk, which is an amazing name, F-U-L-K, and he quickly left to go to the new to the kingdom. At that point, it was a new Latin kingdom of Jerusalem, where he married Melisendi, the queen of Jerusalem. So Jeffrey was now Duke of Normandy because his father ran off to become king of Jerusalem, which is like gotta read about that later. Melisendi sounds amazing. So Matilda married this teenage boy she didn't want to. She refused to use her title of duchess and insisted to still be referred to as empress. 
By 1129, which is less than two years into their marriage, the couple were living in separate countries because they hated each other so much. Henry was like, this is not great for the plan of you having a child that will be my new heir. So he did some mediation. And by 1131, he uh, got them back in the same place. And two years later, age 31, Matilda gave birth to her first child, who was a little redheaded baby son who she named Henry. Less than a year later, she was giving birth again, but in a much more challenging experience. The second baby was a boy named Jeffrey, who survived his birth, but Matilda almost died. Like, she was so close to dying that she started preparing her will. And just as sort of an example of her being amazing, even as she was, like, dying in the year 1130-whatever, um, she forced her father to agree to let her be buried in a place of her choosing instead of where he wanted to put her. So she's just like negotiating even while dying. But then she didn't die. Hooray. Matilda and Jeffrey, now the parents of two sons, and Jeffrey being now, I think, 20, at least not 15 anymore. They developed a new relationship based on being parents of these two sons, and they started to get along on that sort of respect. But unfortunately, Jeffrey and King Henry did not get along. Matilda was in the middle of all of this. So by 1135, she and her father were fully estranged. Matilda and Geoffrey and their sons were off in Anjou, and Matilda was pregnant for the third time while Henry hung out in Normandy. King Henry went off on a hunting trip one day when he made the mistake against doctor's orders to eat lampreys for supper, which are a kind of eel, and they famously killed him because of food poisoning-related reasons. So he died super unexpectedly from eating lampreys on a hunting trip, age 67, RIP. And then everything suddenly went chaos super quickly, partially because every it just like where everybody was located at the time and who was close and who was where, and you had to deliver messages by horses. So by the time the word reached Matilda in Anjou that her father had died, she rode north to claim that some disputed castles that she'd been promised as part of her dowry. And this would later become her main headquarters for what she was going to do later. She was not able to do any more, though. She couldn't head over to England because her pregnancy was really, really um, not pleasant for her. She was not able to travel. Like, remember, she almost died in the last last time. She was, what, now, like, 35? So even now, like, if you're 35 years old, that's like, you know, you want to check in with your doctor pretty regularly about your pregnancy. And this is, like, you're 35 in, like, the year 1135. Um, she couldn't go off and do anything because she was practically dying of pregnancy so meanwhile oh so jeffrey was also busy with a rebellion in anjou so everyone's kind of like on their separate parts of the chessboard meanwhile as soon as he heard the news matilda's cousin stephen who you might remember who is also in another part of france grabbed a ship and rode flat out so basically he grabbed a ship sailed over the narrowest part of the, the english channel which is fortuitously close to where he was he didn't sleep he just rode flat out to london where he visited his brother also called henry the bishop of winchester uh, who was sort of the pope's representative in england and with his help stephen declared himself the new king on december 22nd three weeks after the king died stephen was crowned by the archbishop of canterbury and henry hadn't even had a funeral yet and matilda was off being pregnant in france so stephen had been one of henry's favorites but a number of reasons why this is like an unexpected turn of events part of which is that he wasn't even the oldest of his brothers his oldest brother is called tebow 
So this was an incredibly bold move of him to take. The precedent that he was following was, though, uh, basically that of literally Henry himself, who had done a really similar thing. So Henry's father, William the Conqueror, had died. Oh, no. William the Conqueror died. Then his son became king. That son died in a hunting accident. And then Henry was the brother of that son. So, But basically the same thing happened. A king died in a hunting accident. Henry was just like, I'm king now, and took over, even though he wasn't sort of supposed to be. So Stephen, this is kind of like not unexpected in that way. I guess this is not unprecedented. So Matilda would have been weird in the sense of it being a straightforward succession because no Norman king had actually done that yet. But the fact that she was a woman made it all even more complicated because even though there wasn't a rule that said like women can't be in charge, um, no one had really done that before. Also note, Stephen had been one of the first nobles back in that previous thing where Henry had gotten everybody to pledge their support of Matilda. Stephen was one of those three guys fighting to be the first ones to pledge, so betrayal. So there hadn't been a woman in charge of England before, to the point that there wasn't even a word for that, because at this point the word queen meant woman married to the king. Like, that was why, part of why. Ethelflaed was just called Lady of the Merchants. Like, there wasn't a So Matilda was fighting to become king effectively. This is part of the reason why she liked her title of Empress, because it was sort of on par with Emperor. It wasn't as less than, as Queen is sort of less than the King. So Stephen set off a chain of events that led to a civil war known as the Anarchy. So King David of Scotland, who is Matilda's uncle, who had been another one of the first ones to pledge to Matilda back in the day, heard what Stephen had done, rushed down to sort of defend Matilda, but Stephen had more troops than he did, and they wound up just sort of reaching an agreement where King David wouldn't invade anymore. In July 1136, Matilda gave birth to her third son, who she named William, in her her headquarters over there in France. And for the next two years... Stephen was king, and Matilda was presumably tending to her three young children slash scheming, and her cause was lost. Like, her cause was effectively lost. Like, no one thought that she was, she had a chance at all. Until suddenly, Robert of Gloucester, her oldest half-brother, good dude, switched sides and pledged to be her champion. At around the same time, her uncle David, the Scottish king, also began fighting on her behalf. So suddenly, her dead-in-the-water chances were revived again with these powerful allies and their forces. In 1139, she stepped up personally to, like, make her claim. Like, to say, like, you know what? I am the true monarch. It's not just these people fighting for her, but she's stating this herself. That itself is basically an act of war slash treason. One of her first acts was she sent a messenger to the Pope to try and get them on her side against Stephen. But the Pope was like, what's done is done. Stephen is the king. But Matilda's like, ugh, fine. So she set out on foot, well, on a boat. And then she got off the boat. And then she set foot on English soil for the first time in eight years, that year, and it was on. She also had a surprise new ally. And this is a twist I love, you know, women's. Her stepmother, Adeliza, remember her father's second wife, who had by now remarried and had six children with her new husband. So clearly she was not the impediment to having a child with Henry. Adeliza uh, invited Matilda to come and stay with her at her, her castle in Arundel and to dock her ships there. So just to, so we know everybody is Geoffrey, her former teenage husband, now an adult husband, and the three sons were back in Normandy. Matilda was like doing her own thing. She's with Robert of Gloucester, and they're hanging out at Adelise's castle in Arundel. 
So the thing about Steven is he is a lot like um, Stannis Baratheon on Game of Thrones. I believe he was actually the inspiration for Stannis Baratheon on Game of Thrones in terms of like a younger brother who takes over and who's also just like really obsessed with um, ethics and morality so, and chivalry. So Stephen was like, well, I can't attack this castle because Adeliza is there and she's the former king's wife she's a dowager queen i can't go there because matilda is there she's the king's the former king's daughter she's also the empress like i'm a guy i can't invade a castle with two queens in it so what he did is he ordered matilda to go and join robert of gloucester so robert of gloucester was off camped somewhere nearby so that he could perhaps go and sort of attack them there stephen made a lot of like what are you doing sort of moves which makes the story more interesting, frankly. So Matilda's like, okay, I'll go I'll go be with Robert of Gloucester. But en route, she got even more nobles to join her side. And then <laughs> my notes say, battles, 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 subterfuge, etc. Other people write about the details of the battles, but just bear in mind, that all happened. And then it's 1141, and Stephen winds up captured in battle by Matilda's forces. He tried to like sweet talk his way out of being in jail by like talking to his guards and like being like, what if I just go for like a walk in the woods and run away? So she ended up having to like literally put him in chains, but she couldn't kill him because killing him was like a precedent of like a monarch can't kill their monarch. She, but she had the upper hand. She had beaten Stephen's forces, but she needed the support of his brother, Bishop Henry, who you might remember from he um, helped Stephen in the first place. And on March 2nd, 1141, he gave Matilda his blessing to be the new monarch. There was a ceremonial procession. She was declared officially Lady of England and Normandy, but not king or queen. For that, she'd have to be crowned at Westminster Abbey. And this is the point at which the whole thing just gets like, oh, I hate it. So she had won in battle and she was now Lady of, of England and Normandy. And people were like, mm, but you know what? She's sort of full of herself. She's sort of stuck up. She's prideful. She's arrogant, which are like words that no one ever uses or used against her father, against her brother, against her grandfather, like William the Conqueror. No one was like, ooh, William the Conqueror. Mm, he's a bit full of himself. He's kind of stuck up. Like these are completely gendered insults. So, and she was, she clearly, like there was no role model for her in this situation. There had never been a female monarch of England that she knew of. Um, so she probably was emulating her powerful father um, and her first husband, her powerful father, comma, and her first husband. Like these two older men who she saw being these like super powerful kings and she would act like that. But when people saw a woman acting like that, they're just like, what are you doing? People were like, why isn't she more like her mother and grandmother who were saints, like who were like humble and modest, like she should be like them. But then if she was like that, then she couldn't rule. And so it's just this awful, like vicious cycle. Um, her haughtiness and insolence was seen as unfeminine and therefore unnatural. And then she didn't. So Bishop Henry, her latest fan, who had agreed to crown her, was like, I'm going to give you suggestions and you should do exactly what I say. And she was like, hmm. Take that into consideration. I was empress for 15 years. Like, I know what I'm doing. Um, and then he was really mad that he that she didn't do what, what he had said, even though no one ever had that expectation of, for instance, her father or her cousin. Um, men didn't have the sort of expectation that they should do what their advisor said. Uh, when she spoke, um, one chronicler said that her voice was not with an unassuming gentleness, but with a voice of authority. 
Um, and she, with a grim look, her forehead wrinkled into a frown, every trace of a woman's gentleness removed from her face, blazed into unbearable fury. So men were just kind of like, she's this woman and she's talking and that's gross to us. Bishop Henry wanted her, the final straw for him was that he wanted her to endow Stephen's personal estates to Stephen's son, Eustace. And Matilda was like, why would I do that? Eustace would then try and take over from me. That's a stupid thing to suggest. And Bishop Henry was really mad about that and decided to switch teams again, betraying her to go and, and help Stephen instead. And then, so Stephen's still in jail, still in chains. And then what is this now? Like the eighth, the eighth Matilda in the story, we're going to call her Mathilde because that's how it's written. So Stephen's wife, Mathilde, had been queen um, and she was pretty amazing herself. She was working hard to get him or at least his sons to be king now instead of Matilda to try and get rid of her. And because Mathilde was acting on behalf of her powerful husband and not in her own name, she wasn't facing the same double standards as Matilda and was able to act more independently, ironically enough. The same chronicle that criticized Matilda's behavior as being so arrogant um, and not womanly, this same person cheered on Mathilde for forgetting the weakness of her sex and women's softness. She bore herself with the valor of a man. Like, this was good for her. Like, he's cheering on Mathilde for being this sort of Amazon badass. Meanwhile, saying, like, mm, but Matilda, ugh, like, she was sort of snooty to people. Anyway, Matilda kept planning her coronation, even as, unbeknownst to her, Mathilde, with the help of Bishop Henry, was launching attacks and wound up being Matilda's undoing. So... On June 24th, 1141, Matilda was sitting down for a pre-coronation banquet, which was interrupted suddenly by all the bells and all of London tolling, and thousands of Londoners bursting in with weapons in hand against her. This was all put together by Matilda and Bishop Henry. So Matilda and company fled, um, and the Londoners ransacked her lodgings and, like, smushed up all her food and whatever. So turned against her, and as such, she was never actually crowned Queen of England. One of the main voices against her at this point was goddamn Bishop Henry, who was like, she didn't listen to my advice, she gloated too much, she's a woman, it's gross, we had to get rid of her. And this is also partially, and he really liked Mathilde, because although Mathilde was this like super badass warrior woman who like, I kind of like her as well, might do a little podcast about her sometime later, but when she went to talk to Bishop Henry, she was she acted all pious and humble. And, you know, she went to him with like womanly tears. And he was like, oh, that's how women should behave. Ugh, so she just knew how to play that game a bit better, I guess. Mathilde, respect. Anyway, so Matilda learned of Bishop Henry's betrayal and rode off to Winchester to face him down face to face. And he ran away, of course, because he was so strong, like so brave and criticizing her from a distance, but he couldn't bear to see her in person because he awful. Um, he appealed to Mathilde as Matilda's team settled into Winchester in a blockage scenario, blockade scenario, waiting for him to return. So Bishop Henry and Mathilde's team, their army, surrounded them and besieged the city. So they're in Winchester. Um, this is all called the Rout of Winchester, this whole event. So, so we've got Mathilde's teamed up with Bishop Henry. The army is surrounding Winchester, where Matilda is sieged with her supporters. On Sunday, September 14th, Robert of Gloucester, good dude, and his army made a huge last stand, mostly to distract the enemy so Matilda could escape. And she did, riding astride, so instead of the side saddle way the women often did, she fled 40 miles northeast 
Um, she rode flat out for literally for two days to the point where her body was so exhausted that for the final part of her escape, she had to, she was like laid out on sort of a stretcher between two horses because she was so fucking tired. Um, amazing. So he, Robert lost to the distraction. Matilda escaped, rode flat out, flat out. Like she wasn't just like sitting around being like, I should be queen. She was like doing amazing stuff. But she soon got news back in the safety of Gloucester that Robert of Gloucester, good dude, had been captured by Stephen's forces. And Robert was really crucial to her whole thing. Like, he was her half-brother. He was this... Um, like, all the armies respected him so much. He was he was super important to her whole, her whole cause. And the only way to get him freed was to do a prisoner exchange, to give them Stephen in exchange for Robert. And so she's like, what to do? And while this is all happening, uh, Geoffrey was doing an amazing job back in Normandy, sort of taking over there to the point where it seemed like Stephen could just not get a foothold over Normandy so it was like is it going to split up like is England and Normandy two separate places now bonus fun fact uh there's two twin brothers named Robert and Walloran of Leicester who were involved in this whole situation one was on Stephen's side one was on Matilda's side they were twins I just like I love a twin so Robert of Gloucester went to help Geoffrey in Normandy because he's so helpful and Geoffrey figured that he could just help. But he was so helpful that Geoffrey kept delaying his return, um, not wanting him to go back because Robert of Gloucester was so helpful to him. Um, but then, oh no, while that was happening, Robert of Gloucester was away. Matilda was left on her own. I mean, with her, you know, bodyguards, etc. in Oxford and Stephen's team came over and sieged Oxford. They surrounded it, tried to take it over Robert so pissed he stormed back to england uh this time he brought with him matilda's nine-year-old son henry and began fighting to free her so now it's december 1142 matilda and her her colleagues had they've been sieged in this castle starving like literally starving for three months so she just decided you know what it's time for another trademark matilda daring escape and so what she does is with three bodyguards they all cloaked themselves in white because it was snowy outside for camouflage so they snuck out through a side gate um they're camouflaged against the freshly fallen snow because it is december they were on the on a river but it was wintry enough that they could walk across the river so they walk across the river got away nobody saw them at all and stephen was like oh good for her and he just like siege on oxford and suddenly again her cause seemed lost but then it lived for another day the guy, the chronicler who before wrote all those stupid stuff about her, um, which is a work that was sort of talking about how great Stephen is. So, of course, he always said shitty things about her. But he he was like, you know what? That was a cool thing she did. She probably just did it for attention, but like it was cool. And having brought nine-year-old Henry over was sort of a lucky thing for Matilda and Jeffrey because he was their ace in the hole. Because if people didn't want a woman leading, which was the main reason why people didn't want to support Matilda, let's be real, um, he, her son was a strong option. Matilda could not personally command troops on the battlefield, which a couple times had been sort of what saved her, that she was able to, to flee, and also because Stephen didn't want to attack her because she was a woman, but that sort of got in her way as people seeing her as a leader. But more importantly, her most important subjects were unwilling to accept a woman as a leader. Her son brought with him the same birthright, like being a descendant of the pre-King Henry, but without the baggage of being a woman. So it's at this point, an utter stalemate between Stephen and Matilda, that Matilda seems to begin pivoting to begin fighting not 
for the crown for herself to become king, but on behalf of her son Henry, for him to become king. And her son Henry stayed in England until 1144, when he returned to France to train under his father Geoffrey to learn more about how to be a king, etc. And then the years went by. Uh, some of Matilda's strongest fighters died, mostly of natural causes. Robert of Gloucester, good dude, died of a fever, very sad. Um, some of her other fighters headed off on crusades. Like, they were just like, we've been fighting for you for a long time. We kind of want a change of scene. Then, in 1147, her son Henry, by this point, was 14 years old, redheaded, short and stocky, very impetuous. He decided to just, like, invade England on his own against literally everyone's advice, including Matilda's. So he just sort of, like, sailed over with mercenary forces. But then he did not do amazing. It was all sort of chaotic. Stephen is just like, what is this? And then Henry ran out of money to pay his mercenaries. And so he asked Matilda and Geoffrey, like, hey, can you loan me some money to pay my mercenaries? And they were like, no, because this was a stupid thing you just did. So then Henry turned to Stephen, like the man who's trying to usurp, to be like, can you pay me money for the mercenaries? And Stephen paid him money for the mercenaries. Like, Stephen was also a good dude question mark so the stalemate like that there's a little drama but the stalemate continued on only occasional battles every now and then like everyone was just tired of fighting and now it's 1148 matilda heads off back to normandy which jeffrey had successfully taken over and it's not like she's retreating from the whole england side of things it's more just like that's where more of her power was um because Geoffrey had been officially named Duke of Normandy, so Stephen didn't have that title at all anymore. And then, in 1149, Matilda's uncle David, King of Scots, good dude, knighted her son Henry, which was sort of like a, like in Roman times, getting the toga. This was like, now he's a man. And so that meant his cause was even more real, a thing for people to, to stand behind, because he wasn't a boy, he was a man. He was 14. So Matilda settled into life. Like, she seriously, like, switched gears to be like, now I'm the mother of the king. I'm not going to try and be king myself anymore. So she lived in personal quarters at a priory, um, because she'd always been sort of a religious sort of person. So now she's living sort of a nun-ish life. She began focusing more on the Normandy side of things, Geoffrey died in 1151, unexpectedly. He was young, 38. At that same year, her son Henry returned to England. He's now 18 with a small army just to drum up some support again for the cause. But everybody was exhausted still from the years of war and nobody really wanted to fight. Like, not on either side. Like, not Stephen's side, not on Henry's side. Everyone's just like, enough war, honestly. In 1152, Henry married Eleanor of Aquitaine, who is a very famous woman who maybe I'm going to do a podcast about next week. She was the Duchess of Aquitaine. Like, she wasn't just the daughter of the Duke. Like, she literally had the power herself. So she was a super eligible woman, an amazing person for him to marry. Because through that match, that side acquired a whole bunch more French territory. She was super powerful. It was like power couple type situation. Um, and that same year, Stephen's wife, Mathilde, died, R.I.P., 1153. Henry returned to England, where he and Stephen met to formally hash out some peace terms that wound up including Stephen would adopt Henry as his son in order to name him as his heir in place of Stephen's own son, Eustace. Eustace was really mad about this, by the way. He stormed out, ran away, and then died of, like, fever or whatever. So, in 1154... Stephen died. So what had happened is effectively Matilda 
and her son had cornered Stephen to a point where he agreed to make Matilda's son his heir, to not make his own son's his heir. In order to sort of like finagle this, he had to like adopt Henry, who was an adult. But so that's sort of like shades of like ancient Rome stuff, too. So it's just sort of it sucks that um, Henry got named the heir as Stephen's adopted son instead of as the rightful king, Matilda's son. But but just wait. So unlike the last two previous king deaths, Henry was out of town, but nobody else rode in on a horse to take over. He was in Normandy at the time, and he actually had to wait six weeks for the winds to be favorable enough to sail over. And Matilda's son Henry became the new king of England as Henry Fitz Empress. So he went by that name. So it meant like the son of the empress. So even though he was the adopted quote unquote son of Stephen, Henry was for for his whole life. He was like, I am the son of the empress, the son of Matilda. And upon his coronation, all the troubles in Normandy ended. Like things just kind of sorted out because I was like, oh, great. A man is in charge. We're fine. Matilda spent the rest of her life in Normandy, often acting as Henry's representative and presiding over the government. Early on, Matilda and her son issued charters in England and Normandy in their joint names. So he clearly, like, he respected his mother. He knew she knew what she was doing. Um, he relied on Matilda for advice and policy during the early years of his reign because she was empress for 15 years. Like, she knew what was up. Um, she helped to deal with several diplomatic crises. One of these involved the Hand of St. James, which is literally a hand. One of those relics of like a piece of desiccated saint body. So Matilda had brought the hand of St. James back with her from Germany many years before. The new Holy Roman Emperor considered the hand to belong to them and he requested that they return it to Germany. Matilda and Henry were like, nope, it's going to stay here because tourists like to come here and visit it. And finally, they were able to buy off the Holy Roman Emperor with a bunch of expensive gifts, um, including a large, luxurious tent chosen by Matilda sure um in her old age matilda paid increasing attention to church affairs and her personal faith so like her mother and her grandmother just like really leaning into the religious side of things and she remained in normandy kind of governing it on her son's behalf for most of her life um she was apparently more easygoing as she got older but i mean like her son's king like what does she have to worry about uh there's a chronicler named mont saint jacques who met her and he described her as being of the stock of tyrants so she still had this like cool attitude that had rubbed some people the wrong way before she never lost that good matilda died on september 10th 1167 at the priory where she was living surrounded by the monks who had become sort of like her found family at that point her remaining wealth was given to the church because she was super religious uh, she was buried under the high altar in abbey by the archbishop her tomb's epigraph includes the lines, great by birth, greater by marriage, greatest in her offspring. Here lies Matilda, the daughter, wife, and mother of Henry. And the concept of a female ruler did not come up again for 400 years. Like, because every other king after this either had a son or was usurped by a guy. Like, it never came up again that the only possible person was a woman. What happened 400 years later? That was the whole thing with, um... Queen Mary I and Queen Elizabeth I and the whole Henry VIII scenario. And we're going to deal with all of that, I have to assume, in a whole podcast season of its own. But when that was all happening, people sort of looked back at Matilda to be like, because at that point she could be a precedent for Mary, for Elizabeth, to kind of see like, okay, well, could a woman 
be in charge? Like, what might that look like? So that precedent was kind of there. And that is the life of Empress Matilda, and I just really admire her a lot to subject her to our little silly scale. So the Scandalicious Scale, we have four categories. And as per ever, like, we're not saying one woman is better than the other. We're just kind of like, this is a way of measuring where they each fall into these different categories. The first category is scandaliciousness. So this is sort of like what sort of juicy goss comes out of this story. And Matilda was like a very upstanding person. So there's minimal scandalicious to say. She was a little girl. She was married to an older man. That's not really scandalicious. That's just like how things went. And then she went back. She married Jeffrey. She didn't want to be with Jeffrey. They sort of separated and they were forced back together. They had kids. Like, although I'm going to give her a couple points. I'm going to give her a three for scandaliciousness because some of her escapes were just like just so cool um the next category is scheminess which for somebody who wasn't literally a queen it's more like were they doing like courtly scheming but for someone like matilda who was like overseeing battles her scheminess is a 10 like flat out a 10 like dressing up in white to escape in the snow a 10 like slipping out of like having someone distract her enemy while she like runs out and then like rides on a horse for two days like she knew what was up and then even the fact that eventually she was like you know what there's too much sexism here they're never gonna accept me as leader i'm gonna switch to my son like that's like her scheminess is pretty great significance is interesting because she was never actually crowned queen of england she was called lady of the english she it was the first time that a woman got this close to almost being queen so like if she was the first woman queen that would be like 10 I'm going to give her a seven for significance because she really broke a lot of ground that was later used by her later descendants, Elizabeth and Mary, to sort of figure out how to seven. Sexism bonus. So this is how many points do we give her for how much did her sex hold her back? And for her, I'm giving her, this might be the first of anyone, a 10. Because if she had been a woman, if the culture had been less sexist, she would have just taken over and she would have been amazing because she was amazing because she knew what she was doing because she was amazing but the whole thing like even the fact that like she couldn't come over and fight for her throne because she was pregnant is awful like that's that's a full-on 10 like sexism just like wrecked her chances sexism so that's 20 that's a 30 so she's in second place in this not contest so just to be clear so in first place is from earlier this season agrippina the younger 31 empress matilda 30 and then just below her is Elizabeth Bathory with 29. And then Cleopatra and Lucy Hay with 28. So I love I love that she's up there. I love that she's up there even though her scandaliciousness was very low. Because she made up for it in these other, other areas. So this is Vulgar History. My name is Anne Foster. You're listening to this in the future. And I hope pandemic stuff is a little less wild and weird. And I hope that this story was a fun little diversion for you. Um, so again... If you go to audibletrial.com slash vulgarhistory, you can get a 30-day trial and a free audiobook. I would suggest looking for, there's the Catherine Hanley book of Matilda and also She-Wolves by Helen Castor. The two main sources for my, my research for this podcast, which you can get there. I'll put those in the show notes. Uh, you can also support the show by getting some of our merch, which if you go to teespring.com slash stores slash vulgarhistory, I've been making... Um, merch based on each 
the each woman each week of the the podcast i have a, a tie-in shirt or a tote bag or mug or whatever usually it's a picture like an oldie time looking picture that i've overlaid with hilarious text um you can take a look there if you want to support us in that way and also just like show your support for which which are your favorite scandalous women history if you want to straight up just like support me love it um if you go to patreon.com slash ann foster writer you can find some more of my writing at annfosterwriter.com and we're on instagram and twitter at vulgar history pod on instagram and vulgar history on twitter um wash your hands um social distancing um don't touch your face and i'll talk to you all next time Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.